the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Those who have a low view of Scripture, those who deny the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture, they assume that Stephen made a mistake here in saying that Abraham purchased this plot of land when it was Jacob who purchased it. But listen, not only was Stephen, as I told you last week, not only was he guided by the Holy Spirit when he said these words, but Stephen is an intelligent man. He's a man, a Jewish man, well-versed in Scripture. He knows the Old Testament. He's read Joshua 24, verse 32, and he very well knows that Jacob purchased this land in Shechem. So then the question is, why did he say that Abraham purchased the land when he knew that it was Jacob who purchased it? Well, there are two very plausible explanations. One is that Jacob purchased this plot of land in his grandfather Abraham's name, who, by the way, would still have been alive. Abraham still would have been alive at the time Jacob purchased it. As I mentioned at the end of our previous verse-by-verse broadcast, what seems like a Jewish history lesson is far more than that, and it applies to us today. Welcome to Verse-by-Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our series is titled, Stephen's Defense Before the Sanhedrin, and Pastor Steve is doing a great job of breaking down the passage and teaching us why this is so significant not only to the people in Stephen's day, but to us as well. As we go through today's broadcast, Pastor Steve will have some intensely practical applications for us. If you're able to follow along, our main text is Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Here is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Joseph sends the brothers back to Canaan with some food, and he tells them the only way that he'll believe they are not spies and give them food again as if they return to Egypt a second time with their one remaining brother who was left in the land, Benjamin, who was still in Canaan with Jacob. And that's exactly what they do. They come back to Egypt a second time. They bring their youngest brother, Benjamin. And it's during this second visit, Stephen tells us, that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and when Pharaoh found out that Joseph's family had arrived there, he invited them to move everybody from Canaan to Egypt, and he said he would provide for them. That's what happened, as we read in verse 14. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all of his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. Now, Joseph sends word to his father, Jacob, inviting him 
and all of his relatives, and Jacob doesn't know that Joseph's even alive, now he does, and he invites all of his relatives, meaning his children, their spouses, his grandchildren, to move from Canaan south to Egypt. And that's what they did. The entire nation, all 75 of them, went down to Egypt. And that is how the people of Israel came to dwell in the land of Egypt. And they would dwell there, folks, for the next 400, actually 400 plus years, until God delivered them at the time of the Exodus. And all the while they were in Egypt, God was with them, taking care of them. And as far as Jacob and his sons are concerned, they never did return to the land of Canaan until they died and their bodies were buried there, as Stephen tells us in verses 15 and 16. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. And from there, they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. Now, before we move on from the text and see how this passage actually applies to us, I need to point out to you that verse 16 presents a bit of a problem, actually two problems. First problem is that verse 16 appears to be saying that Jacob and his sons were buried in the land of Canaan in a place called Shechem. However, according to Genesis 50, verse 13, Jacob was buried in a cave in the field of a place called Machpelah, not Shechem. And these are two different places, not the same place, two different names, two different places. So how do we reconcile this? Well, the solution is that while verse 15 speaks of the death of Jacob and his sons in Egypt, verse 16 doesn't say specifically that Jacob was buried in Shechem. It only says that they were removed to Shechem. So apparently the they refers only to Jacob's 12 sons and not Jacob himself. And that makes perfect sense because according to Joshua 24:32, Joseph was buried in Shechem. And now Stephen tells us that all of Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, were buried there too. But it doesn't say that Jacob was buried in Shechem. Why? Because he was buried in Machpelah, as Genesis says. Second problem we find in verse 16 is that Stephen says that the tomb where Jacob's sons were buried in Shechem was purchased by Abraham from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. However, once again, according to now Joshua 24, verse 32, it was Jacob who purchased this piece of ground from the sons of Hamar in Shechem, not Abraham. Now, those who have a low view of Scripture, those who deny the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture, they assume that Stephen made a mistake here in saying that Abraham purchased this plot of land when it was Jacob who purchased it. But listen, not only was Stephen, as I told you last week, not only was he guided by the Holy Spirit when he said these words, but Stephen is an intelligent man. He's a man, a Jewish man, well-versed in Scripture. He knows the Old Testament. He's read Joshua 24, verse 32, and he very well knows that Jacob purchased this land in Shechem. So then the question is, why did he say that Abraham purchased the land when he knew that it was Jacob who purchased it? Well, 
there are two very plausible explanations. One is that Jacob purchased this plot of land in his grandfather Abraham's name, who, by the way, would still have been alive. Abraham still would have been alive at the time Jacob purchased it. So it's possible he purchased it in Abraham's name. Or it's also possible that Abraham, although scripture doesn't specifically say this, it is possible that Abraham originally purchased this land in Shechem, but did not settle there so that it reverted back to its original owners. And then years later, Jacob repurchased it. Now, in either case, and I've told you this before, scripture is always true regardless of which of these explanations is correct. Scripture is always true. Scripture never makes a mistake. Scripture is without error because God is without error and this is his word. And I bring these issues up to you in order to help you have confidence in the word of God. So that even when there appears to be a contradiction or it looks like there's a mistake, you will instinctively trust God and believe his word and not dwell on what the skeptics say. There is an explanation, even if we don't know it. Now, these are Stephen's words to the Sanhedrin concerning Joseph. And although his words, and I understand this, even as I was preparing this message, and even as I'm giving this message, I understand that it sounds just like a history lesson. But listen, Stephen is not reciting history for the sake of history. He's making an important point about God, a point which profoundly affects us and our relationship with the Lord today. His point is that God was present. God was active. God was involved in the lives of Joseph and the people of Israel wherever they went. He was active when he used the wicked jealousy of Joseph's brothers to send them to Egypt. He was active when he used all the afflictions in Joseph's life to promote him to the position of prime minister so that he could provide food for the fledgling nation of Israel and preserve them from starvation and going out of existence. See, as with Abraham, what Stephen wants the Sanhedrin to understand is that God was involved and God was prominent in the lives of Joseph and his family even when there was no temple, even when they lived in Egypt. So how could he, Stephen be speaking against the temple by saying that God's presence is not confined to this one building. And folks, the reason this is so practical, the reason this is so relevant and wonderful truth for us is that even though no temple has existed for the last 2,000 years, it's because the principle that Stephen is teaching is that God is with his people all of the time. He's with us in the good times He's with us in the bad times, and he's with us in every single location. Jesus has promised to always be with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he keeps his word. What this tells us about God, it's not simply that he's everywhere, as important as the doctrine of his omnipresence is, but that he who is everywhere is also he who is personal and he who is interested in every aspect of our lives so that we are able to have a close and an intimate relationship with him regardless of our location and regardless of our circumstances. In his book, True Community, 
author Jerry Bridges explains how one night, many years ago, his Christian life was absolutely transformed from having Christ as his Savior to having a personal relationship with his Savior, Jesus Christ. He writes this, a little lengthy, but you'll appreciate it. He writes, it was in the fall of 1951, and I was a young naval officer serving aboard an amphibious warship in the Far East. The United States was at war with North Korea, and many reservists who had served in the armed forces during World War II have been recalled to active duty during this new conflict. To my knowledge, I was the only Christian aboard our ship, which had some 300 men. I was a fairly new Christian and had quickly discovered that I did not have the spiritual stamina to live the Christian life alone in that rather ungodly atmosphere. It was in this setting that I was introduced to the navigators by a fellow naval officer from another ship. We had just returned to the United States from the Far East, and he invited me to go along with him to a Friday night Bible study at the navigator home in San Diego. That evening turned to be the beginning of a life-changing experience for me. It was very obvious that the men attending that Bible study knew God in a personal way that I had never experienced. Most of those men were recalled reservists who had met the Lord or had begun to walk with him through the ministry of the navigators during World War II. Even though their lives had now been interrupted by war a second time, they were joyous and victorious in their circumstances. I soon discovered that to know Christ and to make him known was their motto, and that Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, was one of their key scripture verses. Although I knew Christ as my Savior, these men knew him in a personal, intimate way. They fellowship with him each day through their quiet times, their prayers, their continual meditation on scripture they had memorized, and their sharing with others what God had done for them. To me, Jesus Christ was indeed my Savior, but an impersonal one. He had, according to my understanding, come down from heaven to die for my sins and had returned to heaven. I knew I could pray to him, and I did sometimes, but there certainly was no sense of a personal relationship with him on a daily experiential basis. Even though I knew Christ as Savior and desired to live for him aboard ship, I knew nothing about a daily relationship with him that would sustain and nurture that desire. These men from World War II, a few years older than I, had that personal relationship with Christ, and I wanted what they had. I began to spend as much time as I could around them in order to learn how I, too, could have such a daily personal relationship with Christ. It was through fellowship with these more mature Christians that I learned to have fellowship with God. That's the quote. So what is, then, the secret of having this kind of fellowship with the living God so that he becomes personal to you? The God who is everywhere, how does he become personal to you beyond knowing Christ as your Savior? Listen closely. It is to live with a constant awareness that because God is everywhere, you are continually in his presence. And because he is always present, you live and you talk to him as one who is always present. With you. In other words, you relate to him as if he were physically standing in your presence and was visible to you so that you are constantly interacting with him, constantly talking to him, constantly conversing with him, constantly thinking about his word. You see, here's the challenge that we face. Many of us only speak to God sporadically. Usually when we're in trouble, 
or when we see how needy we are. So in reality, what we end up doing is we use God to seek him when we're in trouble, when we have a need, when we need his help. But the God who revealed himself to Abraham in Mesopotamia and the God who was with Joseph in Egypt, that's the same God who has called you into fellowship through salvation so that you can daily experience his fellowship wherever you live here in the Tampa Bay area. He's here. He's here this morning. And that means that you are to live in the presence of God by communing with him constantly, constantly. You see, while it's certainly right, and I teach this, and I believe this, and I want you to practice this, it's right to have a daily quiet time. It's right to get up each morning early and read the word and spend time in prayer. Jesus, we're told in Mark one thirty-five, that he being the son of God, he still got up early after a very busy day while it was still dark and went to a solitary place and there prayed. So if the son of God needs that. I need that. You need that. So it's right. We ought to have a daily quiet time each morning to read his word, to spend time in prayer. But it is not right to get up from your quiet time and carry on your day's activities and just forget God as if you've met your quota of fellowship with him for the day and you're moving on without him. You just checked off that box. I did it. That's what's wrong. You are to walk and fellowship and converse with God throughout the day and during the evening hours. David said in Psalm 25, 5, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day. Listen, a few minutes of fellowship a day, that just doesn't cut it. That's not enough to give to the God of glory. He wants you to commune with him, to fellowship with him all throughout the day and not have hours on end when you realize I haven't even talked to him. I'm going to bed now. Oh, when's the last time I even talked to the Lord? Now, does that mean that you do things like you ask God to find you a parking spot at the mall and then you thank him when he does? Does this mean that as someone is speaking to you that you are silently asking God to give you wisdom and responding to them? Does this mean that you bring the Lord into every minute detail of your daily activities? The answer is yes, it does. Somebody just said something like that to me. They said, does that mean, and I think this person was talking about the parking lot asking, I said, yes, it does mean that. That's exactly how we relate to the Lord. Listen, I love the way John Stott, former pastor in London, how he practiced the presence of God. Upon waking up in the morning, John Stott would say, and I quote, Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious. Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. Listen, when you live like this and you talk to God like this, you can count on the fact that no matter what your day brings, 
no matter how rough your day is, no matter where you might find yourself in the world, the Lord is there because he is not confined to one place or one location. He's with you and he's there for you to fellowship with him. It is a great encouragement to know that the same God who worked in Abraham's life and in Joseph's life, he's now at work in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to let this thought lift your spirit that God is constantly at work in your life. He is accomplishing exactly what he wants to accomplish, even during those very difficult trials. That's certainly what he did in Joseph's life. And listen, Joseph wasn't always aware of how God was using his affliction to work out his plan. We don't read that God revealed to Joseph his plan ahead of time, but yet Joseph trusted God, even when he was in prison, even when he was sold into slavery. It was a young man, but mature. He trusted God, and he didn't become bitter, and he didn't become angry. And that's exactly what you need to do. Trust God that he is sovereignly bringing about his will in your life, even through the rough times. God was with Joseph in his slavery. God was with Joseph in prison. God was with Joseph in Egypt. And he is with you in your most difficult situations. So make sure that you're trusting him. Make sure that you're fellowshipping with him. Don't be content to have Christ as an impersonal savior. Enjoy him as your friend, your constant companion, as well as your Lord and savior. And if Christ is not your Lord and savior, then come to him. Trust him for your eternal salvation. He died for sinners. We sang that great song, Jesus paid it all. He died for sinners so that they could be forgiven of their sin and live in constant fellowship with him forever. But you must come to him. You must repent of your sin. You must trust Christ alone for your salvation. Enter into that fellowship. Experience the wonders of forgiveness and the wonders of communing with the great God of the universe. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never trusted Christ, I urge you to trust him, urge you to turn from your sin. If you want to speak to somebody about your need for salvation, I invite you to come up after the service. Some of our elders, I'll ask now that they come up after and just stand here at the front. And if you want to speak to them, they're available. But if you do know Christ, then make some changes in your life. Learn from this passage of scripture. Learn from how Jerry Bridges applied great truths to his life. Learn from John Stott about how you can have this intimacy with the Lord, to wake up in the morning speaking to him, to go to bed at night speaking to him, throughout the day speaking to him, thinking on his word, memorizing scripture, commune with him, fellowship with him. Don't just speak sporadically to him. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, I pray that it hasn't just come across like a history lesson, but that we learn from your word, the history of your word, and the inspired points that Stephen was making. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help each of us who knows you to be more intimate with you, Lord, to carry on conversations, to consciously keep in mind that we believe in him, even though we can't see him 
that like Moses, we endure as seeing him who is invisible. Lord, may your reality be as genuine and as real to us as a person that we can visually see. And we pray that you help us, Lord, to discipline ourselves, to converse with you, to change our patterns of thinking so that we are always conscious that we are in your presence. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never trusted the Savior. Lord, show them their need for Christ. May there be none here today who are religious, somehow identify with Lakeside, but have never actually repented of their sin and genuinely trusted Christ for salvation. I pray that you will do a work of grace in their lives. Lord, all of this we pray in Jesus' name. I mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast that Pastor Steve would have some very practical applications for us. I think many of us know it is important to spend time reading our Bible and time in prayer, but it is always a good reminder for us to remain faithful in our time with our Lord. You have been listening to Verse by Verse, a Monday through Friday broadcast that seeks to carefully study God's Word in an exegetical or verse-by-verse fashion. If you appreciate the teaching you hear on this broadcast and live in the Clearwater, Florida area, I would encourage you to visit Lakeside Community Chapel, where Pastor Steve Kreloff is the pastor. You can find more information about the church by visiting lakesidechapel.com. That is lakesidechapel.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.